Monday, December 19th, and this is the Annex Wealth Management SWAT Podcast. It is episode 30. In the studio, Matt Morsey, Investment Team Manager. Hello. Hey, Danny. Trevor Nargis, Senior Trader. Welcome. Good morning, guys. Quite an interesting week last week. We're coming to the close of what's been a really interesting year. This is actually our, what was it, second to last episode here before the new year. Let's just kind of jump right into it, right? So strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. One of the big pieces of news that came in as of late has been inflation. It looks like the Fed might be winning their battle against inflation, with prints coming in a little bit softer than expected, uh, looking at rolling three-month periods to kind of get somewhat of a shorter-term gauge as to how things are really going, that's looking pretty positive as well uh, compared to what we've been seeing over the past year or so with those elevated inflation rates. So as a result of that, the probability of a soft landing has also been ticking up, and this could be a tailwind for risk assets down the road. Now, obviously, you have things like quantitative tightening. We're watching that pretty closely, seeing how that can impact risk assets. But at face value, uh, it looks like the Fed might be winning that battle against inflation. Yeah, I think one strength this year, and before I get into that, interesting as a, as a keyword for 2022, it's probably the nicest anyone's been about this year from the market standpoint this year. Uh, it certainly has been a challenging year for sure. Uh, but I think one strength that we have right now is diversification. Uh, the dollar really has started to weaken, especially over the last month or so. And with that has brought strength within the international equity market and gold. Uh, the dollar has a negative correlation to both of those assets over the last few years. And, you know, when we think about correlation, it's, it's on a scale of negative one to one. So if it's positive one, that means they're always moving in the same direction together. Negative one, they're always moving in opposite directions. And from a U.S. dollar to international, it's negative 0.7. So it's a pretty strong negative correlation between those two, which we've really seen with an uptick of performance with uh, de- both developed and emerging markets lately. Gold is a negative 0.6 correlation with the U.S. dollar. And that actually is pretty is actually flat for the year, slightly negative heading into today. And so for all those that were holding gold as a diverse fire. It's actually worked really well this year, especially lately. It's really picked up in strength. And that's one thing that's quite interesting as of late, because people have been talking about how some of these riskier assets or economies that might have a little more uncertainty, that those have really gotten beaten down year to date. But you know, just last week, taking a glance at how international has done relative to the S&P 500 this year, international is actually outperforming the S&P. And we're watching those things quite closely. You know, We're looking at things like you alluded to, Matt, that are inversely correlated to the dollar right now. You know, we're looking at the material space that has a pretty strong inverse correlation to the dollar. So plenty of stuff to watch there, things that we we continue to keep our eyes on. Matt, what do you got for weaknesses? Yeah, weaknesses, there certainly has been a lot of them this year, that's for sure. One thing that we've been really been watching there is the strength of the consumer, which has really carried the economy overall as a whole. If you think all the stimulus money that went out, you know, as low as interest rates got, the people able to refinance debt that they have, the, the consumer really has been the strength of what's been happening. But we're starting to see some of that roll over. You're looking at the amount of debt that people have is really starting to increase. Thankfully, so far, delinquencies, you know, have held steady, but are starting to tick up as we go later in the year. And I'm really strongly guessing that that's going to be the theme of next year is what is the consumer doing? Are we going into recession? Do we hit that recession? How is that impact on the consumer? With an unemployment rate as low as we've had, you know, we're in a really good spot with that right now. But that certainly is part of the Fed's goal in order to reduce inflation is to get that unemployment number up, which would affect consumer spending. 
Well, and also just watching data and how that's starting to come in. Most notably, we looked at that PMI composite that came in last Friday at a reading of 44.6. So, you know, typically anything below 50, a reading below 50 is typically viewed as contractionary when it comes to economic activity and anything north of 50 is seen as expansionary. So, We came in in contractionary territory, but one thing to note, too, is that it was lower than the previous print, which the previous print was 46.4, but the consensus expectation for this recent print was that people were thinking that it was going to come in at about 46, so a pretty decent surprise to the downside. So just watching kind of what we're seeing with economic activity, I'll touch on a little bit later, but we saw a pretty weak Chicago PMI as well, so kind of watching those gauges of economic economic activity across the board and what that might spell out for the coming months. Moving into opportunities, I'll just go back to international equities a little bit. You know, one of my favorite things to do when looking at how to construct portfolios is to look for asset classes that a lot of people don't want or, or are really uninterested in. And so when I look at international equities, as we talked, they have been doing better with the dollar pulling back a little bit. But we looked at to see how different U.S. has been since international. You know, most of us forget about the 2000s, which was really a lost decade for the S&P 500. You know, you think it started with the dot-com crash, ended with the financial crisis, but international held up and, and actually pretty much dominated that decade from an inequity standpoint. And most people, you know, when I talk to them, forget about that. And they think the S&P or U.S. is the only place to be. However, when we look at that, the, the end result of that thought process is, is how cheap international has got towards the U.S. Uh, J.P. Morgan, they put out their guide to the markets, which is a really awesome research deck that, that we take a look at every so often. And they've got a couple slides in there that I love. And one is how expensive is U.S. stocks versus international? And right now, we're really at 20-year lows in terms of that ratio. So international's two standard deviations below the U.S. in respect to forward-looking PEs against the cheapest it's been in 20 years. Now, things can get cheap and stay cheap for a long time. And as you see, is that it just kept getting cheaper and cheaper. But that really is providing a really good opportunity to look over there. You're also getting a lot more yield overseas. So when we think about shorting duration, we started the year low duration on bonds that moved out. But sometimes you kind of want to have a different move in the equity side. And if you're worried about inflation or getting your money back faster, one place to do is with higher yield with equities. Yeah, and especially if we do see kind of a a churn next year or maybe a, a year that's expected to be flat, there's a lot of uncertainty around what earnings might do what the economy might do. You have a lot of major banks, major research shops putting out their estimates, thinking that the S&P is going to be flat. Now, we've talked about maybe taking the contrarian approach that, you know, maybe there's more upside then. But let's say that that expectation does play out. Being able to get some income off of your portfolio is going to be something that'll help add some add some alpha and kind of increase that total return figure. I think another area that we're looking at as far as opportunities would be, like you said, Matt, you touched on duration, but we're looking at maybe the opportunities when it comes to adding duration in the fixed income space. Yields likely still have more room to go higher. There could be some opportunity then to add duration, lock in those yields at higher rates, and allows one to capture some alpha down the road if and when rates move south or the Fed needs to cut rates. So that kind of brings us to a question that we've gotten here and there is, why would I buy longer term bonds right now when I can just buy shorter term ones that are yielding and offering me a higher rate. The short answer there is reinvestment risk. And so reinvestment risk, for those of you that don't know, is the risk that an investor will have to reinvest future cash flows at a lower rate of return. 
So what does that mean, right? You might be able to lock in some higher yields now on those shorter term bonds or those shorter term fixed income funds, however you want to do it, but you run the risk of having to reinvest at lower rates down the road. So when we talk about adding duration, we're talking about going out, buying longer dated fixed income instruments and being able to lock in some of those rates now so that if rates do move south in the future, we've locked that in. Yeah, one of the threats, you know, moving over there, and we talked a little bit earlier about the consumer, is how strong is the consumer still and where is that going? So November had came out with the retail sales numbers and it fell by 0.6%. The expectation was down 0.3%, so it was worse than expected. Um, however, we look at those numbers, they're not adjusted towards inflation. And so when you put in a higher inflation number on top of that, it's probably a wash where we are right now. But what that means is that more money is being spent on goods or, or similar amounts of money is being spent on goods from previous month. However, you're actually getting less goods than you were before. So as you're spending a larger dollar amount to get less stuff. So how long does that last where before people become dissatisfied with that? Or again, does unemployment start to tick up? Do people start to cut back after Christmas or after this holiday season once they see what their, their bills are in January? The other thing that's changed, and we've talked a lot about this in the past, is that it's shifted from goods to services. So maybe you've got one more trip or, or you have another trip planned going forward, but after that, you're going to cut back. I know my family, we've got a couple that are planned for next year, but after that, it's probably going to be a little while before we, we try to travel somewhere. And I think one thing to note on that too, Matt, is the underlying makeup of what people are buying when it comes to goods, right? We had a bunch of discretionary spending, so people buying things that they didn't necessarily need, but they wanted because they had some excess liquidity. And now it's kind of shifted to, all right, well, let's hunker down, right? I got to buy my stables. I got to buy groceries, right? So many other things. And you've also seen kind of a shift, uh, I don't want to say down the quality curve, but you have people looking for substitutes, right? So maybe you had people who were shopping at some higher end stores, maybe things that were a little pricier, right? And maybe they're buying name brand uh, items. And now you see people shifting to some more generic items. We've gotten word of that from uh, companies like Walmart and things like that, where they're seeing upticks in spending on generic brands. Uh, so that underlying shift in the consumption of goods has definitely changed. Yeah, I think another threat that we're going to be looking at too, and you can hop in on this one, Trevor, but is the messaging of the Fed and what's going on there. We got another 50 basis point hike. Their messaging is higher for longer, but the market really doesn't believe that. The market's forecasting cuts late next year and even 2% worth of cuts through 2024. So, you know, the, the Fed is putting out one message and they're trying to be pretty strong in terms of how they enforce that, but the market certainly doesn't believe it right now. Yeah, and that's one thing that's kind of hard to reconcile because it kind of brings us back to a ongoing discussion that we've been having throughout the year is, is the Fed going to end up having to be reactionary and really shift their course because maybe they did too much? Again, that's, that's the million dollar question. At its core right now, you have the probability of a soft landing coming in higher. You're seeing other shops from across the rest of the industry that are thinking that maybe Q1 is the last instance of rate hikes that we see. So we'll see what happens. Now, the, the key is going to be whether or not it's a pause or a pivot. And I think sometimes those are getting 
misconstrued, maybe misunderstood by the market. Because um, if the Fed stops hiking rates, that's not necessarily a pivot, right? Those rates are still elevated, and you still have that backdrop of quantitative tightening. And when we look at the relationship between risk assets or stocks and the Fed's balance sheet, there's a pretty strong relationship there. And that's really been amplified in the past decade or so as we've moved to a zero rate environment, right? When you're at zero rates, really one of the only ways that the Fed can help provide stimulus to the market is through quantitative easing or providing cash to the market. That They do that typically by buying bonds. So something to watch for sure. I think another threat that we're keeping our eye on uh, would be kind of that three-month, 10-year inversion. We've said that a couple times now, but that's been a pretty good harbinger of a recession in the past. And we're seeing a rather amplified inversion of that three-month and 10-year. So when I say that, uh, I'm, I'm looking at it on a relative basis. So we, we take the three month yield and divide that by the 10 year yield to help see kind of the the relative inversion there. And we're seeing that pretty high compared to what we've seen in the past. And and that also feeds into, you know, rates and whatnot. Rates feed into something that we watched, which is the equity risk premium, which suggests that markets may still be overvalued relative to longer term averages. And when we look at that, we also think of kind of quantitative tightening, uh, like I just talked about. Now, that being said, it's still within a reasonable range. And there are other models that we're watching uh, that look at the S&P relative to interest rates. That's also within a reasonable range of its longer run average. And like we've talked about before, you know, markets have really sold off this year. And we saw valuations get down to that like 15 times range. And typically in bear markets, you see a bottom anywhere from 13 to 15 times. So not saying that stocks couldn't have room to run, but something that we're watching for sure, right? Taking into account strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Let's roll around the room and get some headlines. Headline strength. I'm going to take that the Fed might be winning the battle against inflation. We likely have seen peak inflation this year. Headline weakness. We're starting to see the strength of the consumer dwindle and economic data come in soft. Headline opportunity. I think diversification, specifically looking outside of the U.S. What's our headline threat? The leg of Fed policy, what the market believes, what the Fed is trying to put out there, and ultimately who wins that battle. Annex Wealth Management SWAT Podcast, episode number 30. Matt Morsey, investment team manager. Thank you. Thank you. Trevor Nargis, senior trader. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Annex Wealth Management, LLC, is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect on those of Annex Wealth Management, LLC. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice, or a recommendation or a solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risk. Neither Annex Wealth Management, LLC, nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.